What is up? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bold Women Podcast. My name is Maria Weiler, and I am here with the one and only Meryl Wilson. What's up? We are so excited to hang out with you today, and we are going to... We're going to dive into like a book of the Bible together. And yeah. there's some cool, there's a cool woman we want to talk about today. Yeah. Speaking of like, or I feel, I feel like right now it's just like, get your besties and have them support you. I feel like that's what we're doing with this book is getting yeah. our besties and hyping, hyping our girls up. Yeah. Sure. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> I don't know. What All are we right. talking about today, Meryl? Today we're going to talk about Esther. Yes. Daddy Betch. What is it? What's that song? Oh, man. I lost it. I lost what it. What was it? <laughs> I heard you say that. Were you singing Shorty? Oh, Shorty giving Esther, but she fed up. Oh, no. I thought you were singing Shorty out of 10. No. Oh, that's a that's a good song. That's a great song, too. No, I was I, the one I was Stevie thinking. Rizzo song is what I was thinking of, which shout out to Stevie Rizzo. He's so good. Anyway. The song I was thinking about wasn't a 2010 one. No, I said early 2000s. Oh, gosh. You were thinking of the song, Shorty is a 10. A 10. No. No? No, a different Shorty's the 10. <laughs> okay. All right. Well. <laughs> Shorty's a 20. We're just going to add them together. Wow. Okay. Um, All right. Esther. Yep. Can't take that out of the recording, so let's move on. <laughs> All right. So I figured what we would do to talk about our girl Esther here is to <clears throat> sort of rehash the story in the new Merrill living translation and just like discuss some things. Are you ready for it? <laughs> I was made for this. Okay. <laughs> That's what I was. We title our episodes and this one was called made for this. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. So, okay, very clever. All right, I'll just get right in. <laughs> just get into it. Well, let's go. All right, so there's <clears throat> the book of Esther starts off with um, there's this ongoing conflict taking place between Israel and the Amalekites. Do I would I say Amalekites. Okay, Bible school person to my right. Thank you. I would say Bible school, not uh, <laughs> seminary. So, yeah, well, you might, I mean, well, you may have heard things more than me who did not go to Bible school or any seminary or any the like. All right. So anyway, I'm just, um, I'm not well versed in Greek. Okay. Well, actually ignore me because this right. wouldn't have been nope. written in Greek. Right. All right. All right. So anyway, um, well, there's an ongoing conflict <laughs> between Israel and the Amalekites which began like way back in uh, Exodus. Um, and it continued throughout um, Israel's history. We find the Amalekites referenced um, in, in many books. Um, and they're viewed as a group that sort of represented like the rest of the world um, as we talk about, you know, being in the world today. Um, so they were a pretty powerful group. Um, at this point, Israel has been freed. And this guy, Haman or Haman, how would you say it? Hammond? Hammond? I always really said Hammond. Hammond. Maybe I'll call him Hammy. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Or Hams. All right. So Hams attempts to destroy Israel once again, um, but we'll get there in a minute. So all that's going on in the background. And then we enter, enter Xerxes, who's in the middle of a celebration he's throwing for uh, the people that he is governing. Um, this is a straight up rager. Uh, he puts no limits on the amount of wine people were allowed to drink. 
And at one point, and through the proper channels, he sends for his wife, Queen Vashti. And he wants to show her off, and Vashti denies him. So he flips out because of the absolute disrespect, and his advisors tell him that he needs to ban her and find a new queen to send a message to all the other wives so that they don't disrespect their husbands. Don't disrespect. To insert here, per Google, it is pronounced hey mun Hey mun Hey mun Like hey mun Well, maybe he's still just hams. So, all right. Whatever that's worth. Hey mun Hey mun Hey mun Okay. So... After this, like this begins a whole process to find the hottest young woman to be the next queen. And I'm going to park the car here for a second because like one question I want to ask you is, do you think or do we think that Vashti was in the wrong here for whatever reason decided that she was not going to come when called? She like, I mean, that's kind of your purpose, though, in that time, right? Is like if you're the queen, like you're basically just a human Barbie doll that that's like your job. You do the pomp and whatever. So what do you think? I don't know. I feel like it was kind of more of like a rebellious statement. Like she had probably gotten to a spot of like, I don't care. Um, Or maybe she was like, I already took out my, my, my extensions. My clippings are gone. I washed my face. (laughs) She was like, I'm not doing it. You got like 800 other people. Just call me next year. Um, no, but I don't know. I, I've never really, honestly, never really thought about it from that aspect of was she in the wrong or not for that? I think she maybe was fed up a little bit because I I just think of what culture would have been like for a woman at that time. Um, yeah. And maybe she just had kind of gotten put up with it. I also think that there's this really, this, I would call it almost like a beauty of, things that got us far more orchestrating like chess pieces Mm -hmm. and that if she did not do that, there would have never been a place for Esther. Right. And so I think there sometimes get ahead of ourselves though. We haven't brought Esther into the story yet. Let me pump my brakes. (laughs) As you asked my opinion. Well, all I asked was if Vashti was in the wrong. Okay, so anyway, okay, well, I also, Vashi being in the wrong is setting the stage. That's what you're saying. Yeah. She's setting the stage, which is good. But I also think if there's this element of if something, if we were to learn or pull something from her truly, then the lesson would have been written in there. Maybe. Possibly. Maybe not. Because sometimes they're not always there. Yeah. It is the Bible. It's a living word. Let it grow. Okay, so in a okay. Bible in a Bible study worksheet, I was reading through. Um, oh, so you it, have an answer? It, no. Oh, it asked this question. Okay. Um, what lines of likeness to the sexual politics and abuse of power in relation to gender and sex in this book do you see in our world today? She. So I can give you my thoughts because I already wrote them down. Yeah. But I was basically just thinking like we see this sort of situation play out in the dating environment and in marriage in our culture today. Like someone you married doesn't appeal to you anymore. Divorce them. Bye. Does the person you went on a date with eat their peas one at a time? Bye. Mm -hmm. Whatever the reason people are disposable and you can just find someone else. If your current situation doesn't suit you, you know, like grass is always greener. And like this concept has been in my opinion, compounded by technology today. So I feel like social media, huge. 
Cause yeah. I think there is an element of the next quote unquote best thing is literally at your fingertips. Like you're always going to come across someone prettier. You're always going to come across someone who has whatever you want or remind you of what you don't have. Um, that right. kind of thing. Right. I'm okay. Just- so we're going to go back to the story here. Um, a beauty pageant of sorts ensues. Um, so there's a Jewish guy who comes into the picture here. He goes by the name of Mordecai. He's one of my favorite. And actually he's a pretty cool dude. He's probably one of my favorite characters. So his family was one that had been exiled from Jerusalem back when King Nebuchadnezzar was around. Um, He had a really pretty cousin, um, Hadassah, whose name was changed at some point to Esther in order to hide her identity. And he raised her as his own uh, when her parents passed away. So Esther was brought before, gosh, I'm going to chop this name up. Haggai. 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 All right. Well, one of that's, that's one of Xerxes men and he was in charge of all the uh, contestants, well, if I'm, you will. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. I was just You're thinking on the pronunciation of the name. Yeah. I was trying to look for it to make sure it, <laughs> I wasn't just right. Like just spinning it off. Like I knew. Haggai. <laughs> Okay, so um, Haggai was, like, impressed with Esther, and he decides to um, show some favoritism towards her. Uh, He gave her all of the best beauty treatments. He gave her seven maids and put them all up in what one would imagine is, like, the penthouse suite of this harem that they've got. And at this point, Esther keeps quiet about her family background at the direction of Mordecai, who was also checking in on her regularly. So... Basically, if like any of the other women were like, so where's your family from? She was like, <laughs> keep it under wraps. She's like, none of your business. That's what I like to think. <laughs> I, I feel like think- she might have been a little bit more eloquent of speech. None of your business. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, she probably was. So anyway. Um, Do you ever think when we get to heaven, we're going to sit and see like all these women that are in scripture and it's, they're going to be nothing like what we thought at all. And you're going to be like, oh, that's yeah, you. And be like, I heard you talking about me down there. You know, <laughs> you can, someone should have shut you up a long time ago. <laughs> at least give me like a good accent. Yeah. So, all right. So this whole thing, like this beauty pageant, like took a really long time. Like it wasn't a matter of days or weeks, like the beauty treatments themselves that I was reading about and all of that, like in order to prepare women for Xerxes to like view them or evaluate them, I guess, um, took like an entire around a year to go through. So when it was time to meet him, the contestant would have her choice of jewels and an outfit. Esther meets the king. When it's Esther's turn to meet the king, she asked Haggai what she should choose to wear. And um, so he made suggestions and then she didn't take like anything else, which I think is interesting to Mm -hmm. note. Um, She meets the king. He's impressed with her, chooses her to be the next queen. Um, And then there's a huge party thrown for her. And Mordecai at this point also gets promoted to a palace official. Okay. So what, what do you make of the Persian culture with its emphasis on outward beauty, submission of females to males, segregation of the sexes, harems and the like seen in the book of Esther? Like for me, I think it's like, how it's kind of funny, like not haha, but funny, strange, like how true the saying, um, 
there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. Like how, how true that saying really is like over and over and over. We see the same things pushed throughout culture. Yeah. And I think it takes a little bit different look. Like if you look, well, we're obviously in the country of America, but you can, I think you can look all over the United States and you can see a very similar thing. I think one of the ways that the enemy gets it and twists it though, is where now it's not like necessarily, it, it doesn't feel like a demand of men, but it feels almost like the lie is twisted of, I have to parade myself to get a man. So it comes from the woman themselves instead the woman of initiating. the woman initiating yeah. it instead of it coming from a man. So I think it's the same idea. So the woman has to, um, essentially, come from like her own power to try and make things happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's an interesting just perspective. Well, and yeah. then when you were talking about like, just how to feeling about um, culture at that time, our producer Byron over here um, handed me this really interesting thing when you were asking me about um, if like uh, bah- Bashiti, Vashti, Vashti, Vashti. <laughs> there wasn't an extra eye at the end. <laughs> just Vashti. Okay. <laughs> I am going to clarify this. I know we've talked about it on other podcasts. Well, sometimes I have to read lines multiple times because of my depth perception. Oh, and we're going to go with that excuse. Today. Well, yeah. All right. All right. But anyway, <laughs> she wasn't even looking at anything, by the way, guys. <laughs> but I was about to gonna call you out. Vashti. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. <laughs> okay. So this is this article. Um, this is from gotquestions.org, but it was talking about this is about oh, that hey, time. Got questions, but it says Queen. Um, I want to say Vashti, Queen Vashti, Vashti. Yeah, it's um, Persian. They're they're in they're in the Middle East. Right. I'm not Persian. I didn't pronounce it right. Yeah, but Vashti is like but, not of that area. I don't think. But anyway. All right. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Queen Vashti. There yes. we go. Was told to appear wearing her royal crown, and in one rab um rab rabnickel. Tradition interprets this as the king's instruction to wear only her royal crown. In other words, she was told to appear nude. According to that tradition, Queen um, Vashti refused because she did not want to be put on display before the group of salacious drunken men. This view is not found in biblical text, nor can it be supported by history. But that's what this one, Rabnickel, spelled like rabbi, if that helps, um, tradition interprets it as. So she's he's saying, come wearing only so basically like parading her in front of yeah so i feel like i would be like basically treating her like a stripper just yeah. with a crown with a crown <laughs> like hey come out and yeah i'd be like no oh, well, all right all right so I was gonna, all right. whatever that's worth but that's i mean talking about like just culture at that time but yeah just i feel like there's always this piece of kings got whatever they wanted. Like mm-hmm. if you went yeah. up against the king, it was death to you. Um, and multiple different cultures uh, yeah. that that was, that's what the king got what he wanted. Um, but just back to your question though, I do think that there is this element of um, where I think in our society a little bit that there's this idea of being feminine means you have to show everything that you have. Um, and that means, that means you're more confident and you're more free, but I think it actually, I don't know. I think it can actually kind of enslave you a little bit where it feels like it's like casting your pearls before swine. It's like, yeah, there's stuff you can hold back. You don't have to like 
put it all out there at the same time. I think it can even get into this element of, I I say be a slave to it loosely because I I don't mean to throw that word around loosely, but this idea. Yeah, that's better. Um, But this idea of if I don't show all of me or who I am, then I won't receive a man. So therefore it's like, it actually becomes kind of this like binding thing where it feels like it's weighty of if I don't do all these things then no man will ever. So it kind of just, it flips it. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good perspective. All right. So we are at the point where Mordecai gets promoted to a palace official. So one day after his promotion, Mordecai happens to overhear a couple of guys plotting to assassinate Xerxes for whatever reason. So he tells Esther, who then tells the king and gives all the credit to Mordecai. The investigation leads to confirmation of this plot, and the two men were impaled on a sharp pole as a result. Now, a little bit ago, I was talking about how I thought Mordecai was pretty cool because I was reading some stuff about him, and I was... Reading this one, this one article online, I forget it. I forgot to write it down. Um, but they were basically just saying, like, talking about how strategic he was. Like the mm-hmm. normal route of communication for some for like hearing something like this would have been to like talk to another servant who talked to another servant who talked to somebody higher up who talked to somebody higher up, and then the information made its way up a very long chain, and. um but with Mordecai, sorry, um, with his connection, like he directly tells Esther. And then one reason for telling her instead of going through the usual channels is so that the communication of the plot doesn't get delayed or that the information is delivered into the wrong hands, I think. Um, but another that I did read in the article was that not just so that the king would look upon him favorably, but so that the king would also look upon Esther favorably as well, mm. which I thought was neat. That's really cool. So Xerxes later, later, laters, laters, promotes um, hey, Haman to one of the most powerful positions in the empire, uh, where he oversees all the nobles. Um, everyone would have to bow to Haman, but Mordecai was a G, and he refused. So people That's would, my dude, yeah, let's go. So people would ask him and tell him that he should do this like daily, but he refused all the time. So some guys thought this was a problem. They brought it to Haman and they asked him what he was going to do about it. They're like, yo, listen, there's this guy who's like not doing anything you say. And this is a rule and we are rule followers here. So what are we, what are we going to do about this guy? What are you going to do? Ah, uh, the human pride <laughs> at, at its finest. Right. And the, the guys that ratted out Mordecai for this behavior also knew that he was a Jew and Haman, and they also knew that like Haman had a problem with Jews. And so they were like, whatever, we're going to forget this guy. We're going to kick him to the curb. And so Haman is enraged by all of this. And he thinks that um, giving Mordecai a proper beating will simply not do. And that all the Jews in the empire of Xerxes should pay for this disrespect. So <laughs> pretty extreme. Um, but they cast lots in April to decide when they were going to take action. And it was decided that March 7th of the following year um, would be the year that all the Jews are going to pay for this. So Haman brings this to Xerxes and tells him like, Hey, there's this race of people, AKA Jews that keep 
themselves separate. They refuse to obey the laws of the king. And you know what? I think they should all die because they don't live by the king's rules. And Xerxes was like, you know what? You're right. And then he sends out a decree that all Jewish men, women, and children were to be killed on March 7th the following year and that their property would be given to whoever killed them. So this, of course, distressed every Jewish person in the area. Which it would. (laughs) Naturally. Naturally. Uh, News got to Esther about Mordecai being in mourning, and she sent someone to find out why. She gets wind of what's happened and sends him some new clothes, but he refuses. Um, And at this point, like... I want to consider, like, I want to stop and, like, consider what we think that, like, Mordecai is doing right now. So there was a Devo that I read um, that was, like, basically, by all accounts, like, this guy was super compassionate towards his people, naturally, um, and by wearing, like, sackcloth and tearing his clothing as a public display of grief or mourning, which was pretty standard in the day. Um, But in that Devo um, I read a while back, I'm really helpful with my sources today. Um, thank you to all the sources out there who yeah, are not exciting. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for putting it out there. We promise. Jeez. I will say this is not my original thoughts. So, um, but they were talking, it was talking about how like the, it, this specific moment, um, was being used to illustrate times in our own lives where we see the impact of choices that we make on other people and how it can send us into a state of like, self-loathing and how it's important Mm. to, you know, feel those feelings, but we need to pick ourselves up and keep moving, which I found to be interesting because it was basically, they were basically saying like, yeah, we like, it's understandable that Mordecai was like, "Ah, I can't even do this. But the fact that they, they like kind of took issue with Mordecai, like refusing clothing from Esther because Esther is basically like sending him clothing and saying, Hey, it's like happened we'll sort this out, but like, don't be in mourning anymore. And he just refuses. He's like, no, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wallow instead. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good position to be in, which is funny because that's funny, strange, not ha ha. But like the enemy can do that and put us in a state. Yeah. You know, if, when we realize like, Oh crap, like that decision that I made and how it impacted other people and stuff. Um, so I just thought that part was interesting. Well, I think there's this neat area here just because of like how, like how even at the time I was just looking where this is, this part's taking place in Esther four, um, where Mordecai finds this out, but it says, um, he, he took actually, he went in with the cloth that he put on the sackcloth and ashes and went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the King's gate since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the King's gate. And so I just think this, it's so interesting about that idea of like, even where, like how restrictive, um, like things were like, you couldn't even go yeah, mourn at certain places because like if the King didn't want you to, because of who you were, because of who you were. Um, I don't know. That just kind of stood out to me, but I just, what else kind of stood out to me where he cried loudly and bitterly. And it just made me think of like how, bitterness to like what bitterness can do in us mm-hmm. and how that like, that's a huge root. I'm trying to think of the exact reference, but it basically is like, let bitterness not even have a root in you. Like it, where it's not even found in us at all. And um, yeah. we're actually in another podcast. We're going to talk about. Um, so when you look for it, it's our podcast on Ruth. Um, we'll talk a little bit about episode. that episode, not a separate podcast, just an episode episode. Yeah. 
We'll be talking. We'll about be talking this. about it. <laughs> but, um, and I want to find the scripture too, but it's a, yeah, just like where, where bitterness is like, sometimes it's so hard to get over oh, things yeah. when we allow bitterness and it's so hard for God to move when we're sitting in with a place of bitterness. Cause he, he can't move where there's bitterness. Right. Um, I see where you're going with that. And I know exactly what we're going to talk about with that one. <laughs> yeah. So I really want to find the scripture reference, uh, but go ahead and then I'll pop back in when I find the reference. Okay. So Esther then receives a message from Mordecai that like, she needs to do something about this and try and get the king to not move forward with this because even she won't survive if she's quiet about this now. And then like deliverance and relief would come for the Jews from somewhere else. And then she and her family will die. And then he goes on to tell her that she was made for this moment um, in chapter four, verse 14. Favorite verse of the whole book. It's a great, it's a great verse. Um, so she fasts, tells Mordecai and her servants and maids um, to fast for three days. And even though it's against the law, she's decided she's going to go in, see the king. And if she dies doing it, then she dies. The queen from what I understand, like their role, like they weren't supposed to be visiting the king without an invitation. So they really they like killed. They really were like kept separate for mm-hmm. most most of the time. It was just like she was just put on a shelf until he wanted to bring out his toy basically to show off to people. Um but like can you imagine having Esther's attitude? Like you know what happened to Vashti when she decided to do something that she wasn't supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Like she was like, I've had it. I'm not doing this, you know, whatever. And then she was like banned or exiled. Hopefully she didn't like Mm -hmm. get killed. We don't really know. I mean, it just says they suggested to ban her, but from what I understand, it could have been, yeah, exactly. It could have been that she and her family were exiled or she could have been killed. So who, who knows, who knows what happened there, but like, I'm, you know, Esther wasn't, a fool at this point. Like she knew why she was in the whole like beauty pageant thing, uh, Mm -hmm. to become the next queen. Like everyone knew that like she did like Vashti did something that she should not have been doing or Mm -hmm. whatever. So it was like, even knowing that it's like, okay, but I'm still going to go do this. And if that means that I'm going to die, then just whatever. If I die, then I die. Cause that's typically what, what, what would happen if the King did not say, if you approached him outside, it was like, That is some like bold attitude, bold attitude. And I think there's a really cool side of, well, watching even Mordecai, I think just like even the beauty of like watching people and like Mordecai's weeping and mourning. But I think a a cool way to kind of parallel that and where Esther's like, Hey, no, here's some clothes, get up. But, um, a really neat way to like, maybe like to relate it to us, like when we are in weeping and in mourning and when we feel bitter, that actually going to a time of fasting where we set aside ourselves and we seek the Lord is actually sometimes what can break things Mm -hmm. for us and paralleling where those two are. Yeah. So on the third day of this fast, she puts on like her formal Royal gear. She's all decked out looking her hottest and holiest. And she heads to the inner court just across from the King's hall. So Xerxes sees her standing in there. He's like, come on in, you know, whatever, like, hey, hot wife, whatever, come on in. What's the haps? And then um, he was basically like, what's going on? I'll do anything that you want me to do, even if it means giving you half of my kingdom. So she's like, all right, cool, I'll take that. (laughs) So she tells him she's prepared a banquet for him in um, Haman, and 
she'd like them to join her. And so Xerxes and Haman oblige this request, this request. And, you know, after some wine, Xerxes is like, all right, what do you really want? And she's like, you know, I would really like for you both to go to another banquet that I have set up tomorrow. How about that? So they're like, yeah, sure. Haman seems to be pretty like excited, proud of himself. Haman thinking that it's all for him. He's like, like he's, whoa, like something cool is going to happen. Gonna happen. He's proud of himself. He goes home, brags to his family about all the honors the king's given him lately and that he got an exclusive invite from the queen for dinner that day and for tomorrow. But on his way home, you know, he sees Mordecai. I don't know, just minding his own business. And it made him pretty mad that Mordecai was just standing there, like not afraid of him. So he tells his family and friends about this and they're like, cool, we'll just ask the king to let you impale him tomorrow. You know, get a pole sharpened and ready so that when that's sorted, you can like go to dinner with the king queen, like easy peasy, like whatever. I feel like this, okay, this is reminds me of in office space when he's, there's a jump to conclusions, Matt, where he's <laughs> like, it's Matt where you jump to conclusions. I feel like. This is happening a lot for Haman. Yeah, Haman. Yeah. He seems like a small man, probably in stature, but also like just. <laughs> he was a small man that drove a large truck. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. If you, if Sorry you, for all you short kings that drive big trucks. All you short kings that drive big trucks. We're not talking about you. <laughs> maybe kidding. we are. Maybe we are. No. Maybe we are. I don't know. Anyway, sort yourselves out. <laughs> if you have a, If you have a big ego and it's too big for your body. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. We're moving on. (laughs) Okay. Meanwhile, the King's at home, he's struggling to sleep. So he has someone bring him the history of his empire and read it to him. That that like made me laugh because (laughs) like, who would be like, Oh man, I can't get to sleep. Someone bring me my book of accomplishments and read it to me. (laughs) I need to feel better about myself so I can sleep. (laughs) Anyway, I just thought I found that amusing. Um, So while this is happening, um, they come across the account of what Mordecai did and he's reminded of that. And he's like, oh my gosh, like nothing was done to like, thank this guy for that. So, um, he was about to probably make plans to do something, but then he was interrupted by the arrival of Haman. And so he's like, Haman, go away. Come on in Haman. And then he asks Haman, this I like this approach also. I think this is really interesting that the king did this. Um, but he says, you know, what what should I do about like honoring somebody who is like truly like pleased me? Like, what do I what do you think what do you think should be done um to somebody who has like really done me a solid? And Haman, being the selfish person that he is is thinking that the king is talking about him. And he says like, oh, get him a nice horse with your royal emblem on its head. Let the guy wear like some royal robes, lead him through the city square and have officials like shout about how this is the way to honor. This is the way the king honors somebody. So the king's like, oh, wow, you know what? That's a great idea. How about we do this for Mordecai? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so... Amon does this. He's like, he agrees and he's like, all right, fine. Yeah, we'll do it. And then he goes home. He's like mad, upset, dejected. And his wife and family were basically like, this dude is never going to be annihilated by you. You should probably give up opposing him, Mordecai. And he's like, you know, the next thing we know, like the King's men have arrived at his home to pick him up, take him to Esther's banquet that she's got planned out. 
So at uh, we're at Esther's second banquet, and the king once again is like, hey, what's this all about? Just ask me. I'll give it to you. I mean, I even said up, up to half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. Like, what's the deal? And she's like, all right, well, you know, since you like me so much, I'm requesting that you spare the lives of my people as well as my life. And then she goes on to say, you know, like, listen, we've been sold into slavery. This would have been a different story. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even have brought this to you, but we've been sold out to someone who wants nothing more than to annihilate us. And it's as though the king has completely forgotten he's approved this future date of annihilation of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And he's like, wait, who would do such a thing? Like, who would touch you? Like, you're the, what? What's going on? And she points right at Haman. And he's like, pretty much like craps himself at this point. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, as no. one would. <laughs> and so the king gets furious, runs out to the garden, and he is just like fuming. So Haman stays behind and he's like begging Esther for mercy because he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows that he has a death sentence coming from the king here in a short matter of time. So he like falls on the couch just as the king is coming back and the king flips out and the um, attendants covered Haman's face, which signals his impending doom, which is, that would freak me out. Um, one of the eunuchs then tells the king, like, hey, by the way, this guy has already set up a sharpened pole in his own courtyard and wanted us to use it on Mordecai, the very guy that saved you from that assassination attempt or plot. Um, so the king ordered, you know what? Cool. Haman, let's just impale him on his own pole. And that was satisfactory for the king. So, so many, so that. many lessons from this book. <laughs> I feel like there are so many genuine life lessons. Oh my gosh. Yeah. From this book. <laughs> don't be like Heyman. Don't think that everything's about you all the time. Not everything's about you all the time. And don't try to make others fail. Like it will come back. Yeah. So this happens. Heyman's like impaled on his own pole in his own courtyard of his own home. And the king then gives Heyman's property to Esther And then Mordecai is brought to them. Esther spills the beans about how Mordecai is her relative. The king then appoints Mordecai to Haman's position. Esther then appoints Mordecai to manage the property that she just got. And then she starts begging the king like, hey, we got to go back to this uh, plot to annihilate all Jewish people next year. Um, can we stop this? Can we, can we just put a stop to this? And he obliges, um, says, yeah, you know what? You're right. Let's, let's not do this. And he goes so far, in fact, um, to give authority to the Jews to defend themselves against anyone who might attack them or try and take their property on this day, because this has already been posted everywhere. It's been posted all, all throughout his kingdom, which is a huge amount of property, like huge hundreds and thousands of miles of property. Um, so then he's like, all right, well tell all the Jewish people, like make, make it known that, you know, if anybody tries to do anything, they can defend themselves. Sounds like the second amendment. (laughs) Uh, but there was a huge celebration, um, after, you know, hearing this news and a lot of people like converted and became Jews out of fear of what the Jews might do to them Mm -hmm. (laughs) that time next year. So, uh, March 7th comes around and the Jews in the Susa province set out to kill anyone that hates them, which is about 500 of them. And 
it included all of Haman's sons. So, yeah. So goodbye, Haman's lineage, which is they gone probably. <laughs> bite. <laughs> What's that little girl? She's like, hang on, oh, bite. <laughs> oh, bite. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the king asked Esther if she'd like anything else done. Like, hey, anything else, dear? Anything else you want? <laughs> Which is so interesting. It's such an interesting take between like his previous queen and this one, which is great. Um, But she tells him, you know what? Yeah, you can do something else. Let the Jews do it again the next day. And um, so the Jews killed 300 more men and they did impale uh, Haman's sons. And um, neither day did any of the Jewish people take anything. They just straight up killed people like, they didn't even, they're like, we don't even care about their property. We're just going to like annihilate, <laughs> annihilate people who have been treating us like garbage for however long. And um, so Jews in other provinces gathered together and killed all of their enemies, totaling 75,000. 75,000 people died in two days. It's crazy. And they celebrated afterward on March 9th. And to this day, there's a two-day celebration to commemorate this time. That time. That concludes the book of Esther. I think it's, I think it's a neat idea, like, or just something that kind of runs through the book that just always stands out um, to me is this idea of like how much like God loves the Jewish people Mm -hmm. and like even back to the beginning of the time. And if you look throughout history, how, like how many times have the Jewish people been tried to been annihilated like if, I mean, I mean, Hitler would be probably the most relevant for our time, like mm-hmm. as far as like yeah. what we would, but it's like, it's happened so much, but just looking at how like God literally puts people and things in place to like save the people he loves and save, like he's far bigger. There's a word in my, I have, um, it's, oh gosh, it's a study Bible for women, actually the Holman Christian standard Bible. And, um, it uses the word providence. And I think that's like a really good word to over overarching word for the book of Esther is just the providence of God. Yeah. That. And, um, so this is one of the few, um, for anybody who's not like super familiar, doesn't really dive too much into the Bible or it's kind of overwhelming at times, depending on where you're at in your walk with Jesus, because I mean, man, it took me a really long time to really like start studying the Bible, um, myself. Uh, but, so that's kind of why that's kind of also why we're doing like stories like this is just kind of like break them down a little bit, make them like yeah, make them easy to understand or like they are actually very realistic. We can relate so much to I mean, I mean, not like not that I'm a queen, um, but a queen. I am a queen. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but we can they, they are way more relatable. They're not these far fetched stories that they can right. appear to be. Right, right. Um, so it was just interest. Like, so one, one thought that I had was just like Esther was intentionally and uniquely positioned to carry out her purpose or mission. And, uh, there was no, there was no moment throughout what six chapters is it? Six chapters. Yes. The book of Esther. Yeah. yeah, It's 10. It's 10. Yeah. Esther has 10 books in it. Uh, All right. But right. the, I will say this, the last few are about like Mordecai. Okay. Well, there was no moment 
like throughout that story of her where God like speaks to her directly or tells her what needed to be done. Like what I, what's really cool about that is like this woman's heart was like already in the right place. And this again points to, you know, that theme of this book, you know, being about how much God can accomplish behind the scenes. And a lot, there's a lot of commentary out there about how, um, about like why this book is so important is because it doesn't mention anything about, you know, most of the Bible is like, you know, there's Jesus is here or in the old Testament, it's like God is directly speaking Mm -hmm. um, to people, but this one, he doesn't. And that's just, that's really God's not even mentioned. And it's amazing. This book at all. And it's amazing that a woman is used Mm -hmm. like, no, it's just like, I don't even need to directly speak to this woman because she's already like her heart is positioned in such a way that I already know she's going to do what she's supposed to do. And I will work everything out in her favor because she is, you know, she's just an awesome woman. I think this, the idea of like constantly seeking like that kingdom mindset first, like if we keep our heart there, the rest kind of falls into place. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like real scripture tells us that too. Yeah. And I think that kind of answers like the, one of the questions that I read in like a Bible study curriculum about this book that I thought was good, which was just like, you know, in what way is opposition to God still a problem? Like even after the great defeat of evil upon the cross through the victory of Jesus over sin. And it's, it just points to like what you were saying about how it's like God worked out so much stuff. 75,000 men were killed. In two days, men, well, men, women, and children were killed Yeah, in 48 hours. That is out of hand. Nuts, I tell you. <laughs> Which I think is just wild. It's, and it's like, and it all points to, even back to what Vashti was doing, like her own defiance, like she had to be that way. Her heart had to be positioned in such a way that yeah. she was just going to be like, nope, I'm not doing that. I don't care what happens. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm kind of reminded of, well, in Romans 12, probably one of, um, I feel like that, that book has been one that like I've had to sit in, especially after, um, going through my divorce, I sat in Romans 12 for so, so long. And, um, there's this beautiful part that talks about like, God literally is saying, do not venge for yourself. Like vengeance is mine. Like how you react and how you respond is vital because like you don't do not try to get it for yourself. And I think we can kind of compare the two here. And I know that that's new to Romans 12 is going to be more new Testament. So that's more relatable for us in the world that we live in and the cup or we call them covenants, but it's basically like our promise since Jesus came. Um, but like looking at the um, Vashti, I said it right. Yes. But that feels a little bit more of like vengeance is my own and I'm going to stand for and I'm going to try to defend myself and I'm going to try to make all these things happen. And Esther's coming in more from this place of I'm, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm going to stand up for my people, not just myself. And like when, what happens when we let God defend us, how mm-hmm. it's far greater than us trying to defend ourselves. So I don't know if any listeners are facing things today where you feel like you have to be so defensive of yourself and try to point out something. I think that this story also rings true of like truth is always shown and that's written throughout scripture. 
all over that, like what, what is true or what's kept in the dark, any of that will always be shown. And so if you're facing something today and you're just like, man, like you want to scream from the mountaintops, like that's not what happened or like, that's not true. And you feel like you have to defend yourself or you have to defend lies that the enemy's telling you, like when you let God defend that for you, when you keep your job and your duty of like, of keeping your heart right before God and seeking him and being with him and, and doing those things and doing what he's asked you to do and being obedient to what he's told you, Mm -hmm. he's going to literally work out every single thing that you are worried about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a parallel that we can see here between the two Queens. Yeah. That, and, um, I thought that like one thing that I liked, one thing that we can take from Esther, like one thing that we can learn from her, if, if only one thing is, you know, women tend to be emotional beings. Ooh, ooh, I said it. Ooh, I said it. I only cried three times today. (laughs) It was twice. We're emotional (laughs) beings. All right. So it's easy to, when things go wrong, when challenging times happen, it's really easy to like freak the heck out about it. Right. And then, but, but what Esther teaches us is that like, she immediately um, started fasting, started praying immediately, like brought herself to Jesus, like sought his face and was just like, like, I can't do this. I can't exactly. And, and you know what happened? There was no, there was no emotions tied to anything that she said or did after that point. Right. I feel like she got strategy too. She's like, if I go in there, then I go in there. If I die because of it, then I'm going to die because of it. It was like really interesting to me that like you can, when you bring your problems, when you bring your tough times and stuff like that to, Mm -hmm. to God and like, he's able to take your emotionality and temper that and allows you, and it allows you to be objective. Like there was there was so much just like me going through my divorce. Like when I went through, man, the first, I guess it was like right before I filed or like right around that time, like when I was like getting ready to, or whatever, it was just like, I think I just went on autopilot, but I recall like not being super emotional, but like, Mm -hmm. that was like the deal that I had made with God. And we can talk about that more when we discuss, you know, divorce or whatever, depending on what order you listen to these episodes. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that was, it's just really interesting that yeah. that's, that's something that's what do. happened. Yeah. I think it's, um, I just lost my thought, but I got it back. <laughs> it was gone and then it came back like, God, there I was there. I'm gone. But, um, yeah, God, I feel like we have emotions and we work through emotions and God's given us emotions because like they are characteristic of him. Like scripture said, he's a jealous God. He's loving. He's kind. Like he weeps. I mean, there's, I mean, Jesus wept when Lazarus died. Like we have emotions for a reason. Mm-hmm. They resemble him. Yeah. Um, but he's not led by them. Right. And um, we always, uh, I would venture to say any emotional decision we have ever made has usually not ended well. Oh, Say that again for the ladies in the back. Any decision we make out of emotional promptings tend to not lead us into great places. Yeah. Meryl Wilson can tell you firsthand. (laughs) (laughs) Maria Weiler can as well. Um, But yeah, just that's a really good point. 
Yeah, I love this story. I love this story because there's so many different ways to like look at this woman and it's. Well, I think you can read the story and literally get something different from it every single time. Like you can get something from Mordecai. You can get something from Esther. You can get something. So many things you can grab on life Mm -hmm. in this book. Oh, yeah. Lots. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out our website at www.boldco.studio where you can learn more about us or stream episodes if you don't have a preferred platform with that you use already. You can also email us with thoughts, questions, or comments if there's a topic you'd like for us to discuss at info at boldco.studio. Be sure to like and rate us on whatever streaming platform you found us on. And finally, give us a follow on Twitter at Bold Women Co., We are also on Instagram at boldwomen.podcast as well. Thank you guys for diving into Esther with us. We will probably go back into this book again because there's so much, but yeah, yeah. we love y'all. Bye. Bye.